Welcome to On the Middle East. My name is Amran Zaman and today I'll be discussing allegations that Saudi Arabia is responsible for the mass killings of Ethiopian migrants and asylum seekers on the kingdom's borders with Yemen. The revelations were brought to the fore in a chilling new report by Human Rights Watch, which details the carnage. Saudi border guards are said to have used explosive weapons and shot people at close range. Hundreds, if not thousands of people, are believed to have died, including women and children. Saudi Arabia denies the charges, which were amply documented with victims' testimonies and satellite imagery. Anti-migrant feelings are on the rise across the world, with little sympathy felt for the countless people who perish daily as they seek safety and a better life for their loved ones. With us here to discuss the report is Nadia Hardman of the Refugee and Migrants' Rights Division of Human Rights Watch. So welcome to our programme, Nadia. Thank you so much for having me. A really chilling report. Um, you've got a lot of attention with it. Can you just summarise for our audience what exactly has been going on uh, on this border between Yemen and Saudi Arabia? Yeah, sure. I mean, just to put it into a bit of context, you know, this this um, this report really is about mass killings on the Saudi-Yemen border of Ethiopian migrants and asylum seekers. But these are people that are attempting um, a journey from the Horn of Africa, um, predominantly from Ethiopia. It's, it's estimated that over 90% who go on this uh, migration route are Ethiopian. And a lot of them are women and kids um, traveling through Yemen, uh, getting to Saudi Arabia, facilitated by a network of, of net, uh, smugglers and traffickers, um, and then facilitated by the Houthi forces that control the north of Yemen. Yemen. Um, and then they try and cross. And basically what we found is a widespread and systematic pattern of attacks. Saudi border guards are firing explosive weapons and shooting uh, migrants and asylum seekers at close range at this border. We've documented many, at least hundreds, possibly thousands of killings. And this is why we're saying that it may amount to a crime against humanity. And this has been going on for at least a year, right? At least, I mean, uh, look, my research covers a period of March 2022 and June 2023. I mean, what that means is that I started investigating, you know, what was happening because I started receiving reports um, at the end of last year. And I spoke to 42 Ethiopians who had attempted this journey, all the friends and relatives of, of people that had died. And basically, you know, the, the, the time period covers crossings from March to June 2023. But we know that people have been killed in this widespread and systematic manner before March 2022, because the UN, in the form of its independent rapporteurs, actually wrote to the Saudis last year. Um, and that letter was made public in October of 2022, alleging similar violations to ours. And they documented over 400 killings between January and April 2022. So I, all of that to say that, you know, it's more than a year. It's probably likely the last two years. It's an estimate. We can't verify exactly when this started happening. Um, but we know that it is a dramatic escalation because previously we would document 
occasional and infrequent killings at the border. Nothing of this scale. So, I mean, what can you do about it, given that the Saudi Arabians are denying that this is even happening? Um, what kind of measures can be taken? What kind of pressure can be brought to bear on Saudi Arabia to stop killing these people? I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> the short answer is that I don't know what exactly we need to do to really get the world's attention. I mean, I feel like we do have the world's attention with this report, but to actually, you know, follow through with uh, accountability and ensure that there is no impunity for these kind of horrendous crimes is, you know, that's, um, I mean, we'll have to see what plays out in the next, you know, weeks and, and, and months. But Saudi Arabia spends billions, uh, you know, really so much of its resources go into deflecting attention away from its, you know, egregious human rights record. We know that it still kills its own citizens, um, you know, it has the death penalty and these killings, the, the, you know, the, the death penalty executions have increased um, recently under MBS. There are, there's torture in Saudi Arabian prisons and we've already documented a host of violations of migrants in detention in Saudi Arabia, again, horrifying conditions, unlawful uh, killings, torture, awful stories. So, you know, I, I obviously want to speak with hope and say that, you know, in this instance, <laughs> there will be a difference. But we've given, you know, a, a menu of recommendations that governments can draw upon, um, you know, targeted sanctions for officials that are credibly implicated in the killings. Um, you know, decisions not to participate in sporting events that are designed to, you know, sports wash um, or whitewash Saudi Arabia's image. Um, you know, the cessation of, of transfers of, of, of arms and weapons to Saudi Arabia. I mean, there's so much, really. Most importantly, we're calling on the UN to establish a mechanism to assess um, whether these killings amount to a crime against humanity. So really an independent investigation. Um, but, you know, we've just heard that Saudi Arabia has been admitted to BRICS. Um, you know, there's a, a, you know, in the same week that we document these atrocity crimes, you know, you still have Saudi Arabia playing a more involved role on the global scale. So I don't know. I want to be hopeful, but it does seem difficult. Well, do you have, I mean, I'm guessing you have uh, private conversations with State Department officials, with EU officials. What do they tell you? You know, we've done briefings. I mean, obviously, with, you know, we continuously brief uh, governments and states as we do our documentation. And it's important for us to do that, not just to focus on when we publicize the report. Um, I mean, of course, you know, I mean, I, I can't sort of disclose then, you know, the private interactions, but, you know, I mean, we understand that governments are concerned, you know, that's, that's clear. Um, we've seen various public statements to that effect, but it's going to be, I mean, you know, that's fine. Um, we need to see if they'll follow through and demand something far more uh, concrete in the form of an independent investigation. So, yeah, I, I, I really don't know um, what more is needed. Um, you know, as I said, uh, Saudi Arabia has been invited to join BRICS just, yeah, I think, a few hours ago. Um, it's like more and more, it seems that its efforts to deflect attention are having are bearing a result and you know obviously it's a difficult landscape when people talk about migration routes but really these are mass killings of women and kids 
um, at a border which is remote, inaccessible, and in a country where there's already a humanitarian crisis. People have lost one or more of their limbs. They are traumatized. And really, this is on the world's conscious in terms of what happens next. Well, it didn't help, certainly, that um, President Biden initially said that Saudi Arabia was a pariah, and this was very much connected to the killing of uh, Jamal Khashoggi, only to go and visit um, the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, the King of Saudi Arabia, and try and sort of um, fix the relationship. It's almost as if this kind of uh, rewards impunity. Uh, at the same time, we know that uh, the US is very keen to see Saudi Arabia um, join the other Gulf states in establishing relations with Israel. And so that seems to all take precedence over any other uh, concerns. So, oh, I guess one thing that you probably must be focusing on is uh, what to do about these smuggling networks, right? Because they are mm. big enablers. Um, is mm. there more that can be done there, perhaps, with the UN and others? Yes, um, you're right. The smuggling networks, um, you know, these trafficking networks that exploit migrants and asylum seekers from Ethiopia are extremely culpable. They're, it's an abusive network um, that really also is a huge part of the, of the problem on this route. Um, they beat migrants, they extort payments. I've seen videos of people being tortured and these videos are then sent to families um, to send more money to traffickers um, and smugglers as they take people along the route. It's just horrifying stuff. You know, I've spoken to women and girls that were raped by their smugglers and you know now they're pregnant. Um, you know, it's important to focus on how we can um, bring justice for victims in, in, in the face of smugglers and traffickers and break up those networks. But I would also say it's important not to make that the main focus. Um, you know, we have um, uh, authorities like the Houthi forces that control the north of Yemen that are responsible for that area and are part of the facilitation of migrants and asylum seekers getting to the border. They also abuse migrants, they extort payments, they beat them. I've spoken to asylum uh, migrants and asylum seekers who were recovering in hospitals after an explosive weapon attack. And they were collected from the hospital by the Houthi forces and taken back to a smuggler so that they could um, attempt another crossing again. So really, you know, horrible stuff. Um, they run abusive detention centers for migrants in the north. So we wrote to the, to the Houthi forces who did reply um, at the weekend. As for the Saudi authorities, I mean, yes, again, you have state officials directly um, firing explosive weapons against uh, civilians. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, shocking to really even imagine. And I think for the purposes of this report, that's the main focus we want um, the world to have on right now. I mean, given the horrors these people face, I mean, isn't it astonishing that they still continue to try to make this journey? Absolutely. I mean, look, yes, um, you know, the, you know, I mean, I think one of the things that I found quite shocking again in the context of this report is how many people told me that, you know, after being after surviving an explosive weapon attack, after being injured, shot at, um, traumatized, they were thinking of trying to cross again. 
And that's because they find themselves in, you know, just a, a situation where they really have limited choices or, or none whatsoever. Um, you know, people can't get back to Ethiopia. There aren't, it's really difficult to get back to Ethiopia from Yemen. And those that are in Ethiopia are generally fleeing the conflict in the north or they're in extreme poverty or, for example, they've experienced, you know, continuous drought and can't make a living on their farmland. And these reasons have been consistent over the years for why people are leaving and trying to access Saudi Arabia. And unfortunately, just like many other countries in the world, there are no legal and safe passages, legal and safe routes for people to try to leave and, and you know, access a better life. So they feel that they have no other choice but to go on these routes. And, you know, the smuggling gangs are, are, are really good at exploiting people. They're really good at luring people. And, you know, 750,000 Ethiopians live and work in Saudi Arabia. There are job opportunities there. And we know that Saudi Arabia relies, you know, on the bedrock that is migrant labor in the country. Well, I mean, you know, conflict, obviously, economic opportunity, these have been the main drivers of this kind of illegal migration. But I guess climate change is now emerging as a really big reason that people are moving. And going forward, I imagine, you know, we're going to see mass movements of people. Uh, and at the same time, we also see just a growing resentment towards uh, migrants across the world and politicians building on that um, resentment to elevate themselves. I mean, as a journalist, I find it increasingly difficult to, 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 to write about these stories because, you know, they don't get as much attention anymore. There seems to be a mm -hmm. sort of indifference. And you as a human rights um, worker, <laughs> How do you feel when you're doing this work? And, you know, do, do you feel frustrated and like that sometimes it's kind of hopeless? Yes, <laughs> basically, yes. Um, I mean, you know, look, I'm a refugee and migrant rights researcher. It's the bread and butter of what I do. And, you know, trying to understand what we can do to change, you know, one, the narrative, but also just um you know press on governments and states they have international obligations to you know let people seek asylum any way they can is just like really hard right now you know we lost the narrative battle i think a long time ago um you know that it's 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 a, it almost feels like a dirty word to talk about um, you know, refugees and migrants and asylum seekers. I mean, they're just people, um, people who need to reach safety in many, in many uh, cases. And it, it is, it is tough. It's really tough. And, you know, we don't just uh, want to focus on the horrendous abuses, you know, I mean, that's obviously part of it, but it's also just about, you know, letting people uh, access safety, um, asylum, principles that we thought were already enshrined in international law and that many countries had, you know, uh, like <laughs> wanted to comply with. Um, instead, what we just see are blocks, blocks, constant blocks along the way. And, you know, and, and a, uh, an increasing desire to focus on, you know, the smugglers is the problem. Um, it's no, it's not just, I mean, you know, that's definitely part of the problem. States just don't want to, um, to deal with people on the move. And, you know, there are certain states, particularly in Europe and elsewhere, um, that can, uh, you know, safely 
welcome migrants and asylum seekers into their countries they do have the resources and we've shown that with you know ukraine like we had a really good example of international solidarity um and welcoming people uh, you know into europe so there is a precedent but it's it's you know it's not popular um you know it, it's become a really unpopular issue um so yeah i struggle with advocacy i mean especially when it comes to you know i've documented these horrifying abuses at the yemen saudi border but it's not like you know the eu and its member states or the us for that matter are any particular um you know or any particular high ground um on these issues either um you know at home we are i mean at home i'm british um you know we have an effectively an asylum ban in place so it, it is tough it doesn't mean we shouldn't try which is um you know exactly what I will continue to try and do but right now the most urgent call for the work I'm doing on the Yemen Saudi border is to call for the immediate cessation of targeting migrants and asylum seekers from Ethiopia with explosive weapons and and shooting people that just needs to stop immediately absolutely well thank you Nadia thank you so much for this very important work that you've done and um, thank you for coming on our program. I know you're in high demand at the moment and hopefully things will improve at some point. Thank you, thank you. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure, really. Thank you very much. And this brings us to the end of another episode of On the Middle East. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Nadia. It was pretty tough and um, I do hope you read that report. Thank you and goodbye.